Yeah, I showed it to them, and I was like, so you see, from now on, I believe you're not going to want to watch Netflix. That's your Netflix right now. <laughs> yeah, you could save $9 a month, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, I guess you have to get internet access to have that, sure. so... Hi everyone, welcome to Dig In, um, episode three, coming to you live from Yves, here, yes, yeah. Yeah, here in the beautiful Tribeca neighborhood. It's, uh, it's President's Day, Monday, the, the, the 18th, and I, I have to say, I think neither one of us could have predicted that it was this quiet for the interview that we scheduled, yeah? I mean, the whole scheduling was so spontaneous. My schedule itself, like with work and everything, it's hard to schedule something like this that off my regular routine <laughs> and it worked out perfectly. And it look did. at this, we have the whole place for ourselves. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, so before I, I say too much about, uh, about Yves, I, I'd like a chance for Nazar Rob yeah. to give a chance to introduce himself a little bit. Where are you from? Uh, what are you doing here at Yves? And uh, uh, I just did sum it up, it's a quick story. Uh, my sister, I'm originally from Ukraine. My sister used to live here for 15 years. She's 11 years older. We're like really close together. The whole plan was I'm gonna finish school in Ukraine, move here and live with her. And really close to the time that I was supposed to move here, she got engaged and moved to Greece. I still <laughs> followed pulled, up on that. Pulled yeah, the wool over yeah. your eyes, yeah. I still did that, like I, I still moved here. I was something that I always wanted to do. Uh, never worked in a restaurant in my life. After being here for like two, three weeks, I believe, I started working at the Mercer Kitchen yeah. and uh, started from the bottom. And then uh, two years ago, started bartending there. Started bartending here, actually. Through common friend, uh, it all worked out. I really wanted to bartend. I was like eager to learn and then uh, our common friend that used to work here before he moved to Mercer, he contacted Aaron, who's the beverage director for these places. Uh, yeah, they got me, like I believe I started from like a Monday, Tuesday lunches. For like first two months, three months. All <laughs> where, I was where, doing, no, where no one drinks cocktails. No one drinks. <laughs> all I was doing is just learning how to pour uh, iced teas, dike. I really nailed it. I really know how to pour I see a uh, Sorry, uh, folks. I, I don't want to spoil you. We're actually just going to talk about diet, diet cokes. cokes. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a bit of a bummer. And <laughs> then, uh, but at the same time, it was like a good time because it was a fun time to ask questions and like, actually slowly dive into the bar. Like, and his idea was about me that before learning cocktails and all of that, and I feel like that's reliable to any other person who want to be a bartender or own a bar. They need to learn how to set the bar first, because if you like that, that's the main part. Like that setup of the bar. It's like when you're becoming a dinner bartender, you're already coming into the already set bar. But if there are those small things that are missing, you just at some point you just know them yeah, and you just fill them in quickly. Absolutely. And I remember first it was so hard because I used to put the notes. Then I used to just like trying to remember that. And I don't remember how, but one day I remember coming here and then drinking coffee after everything was done. And I was like, I didn't really think about what I'm supposed to do. 
I did it automatically. Automatically, yeah, I was sure. Like, proudest day in my life. Like at that point, <laughs> like I was so happy. And then, yeah, then it just. I won't tell your first there. girlfriend that that was your proudest day <laughs> in your life. But uh, <laughs> all right, fine. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's sort of like so I, you don't know very much about me other than the fact that I'm I'm doing this podcast. But sure. I I studied uh, I studied chemistry in university, and I think that. Uh, having been a bartender myself for a couple of years back in South Carolina where I went to school, I, I, I really liken the craft of bartending. Um, and I think to be very clear, you know, with you and also with the audience, the, the craft of bartending is what this gentleman does, not what I was doing. Um, it's a lot like being a chemist. You know, you go into the laboratory and you expect to have your, your flasks in one place, you're mixing chemicals in another place, and if you don't have those, those ingredients around in a right order, it's really hard to make your, uh, to make your master batches, and I think that prepping is. the bar no, is one it, of those things. That thing is important, because when you're coming behind the bar, and if someone considers you as a fast bartender, what makes you a fast bartender, it's not your knowledge or anything, that's your muscle memory. Absolutely. And if that one bottle is not there, not where it's supposed to be because someone moved it, you're ready to kill that person, especially when you read it <laughs> and you know that it was, it lived its own life there in that specific spot. And then it's- Why did you move nice. my limes? Why you moved it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like a, on the edging of like an OCD. Oh, it is, it is I OCD. fully convinced that for the restaurant business and hospitality. If you want to have a successful restaurant, you need people with OCD because that's the thing that makes that place running. <laughs> you heard? When you're walking through the floor and you're seeing like some something in the floor, like a piece of paper or something. You have to if clean you're not going to pick it up, obviously that's not going to be the reason, but in a year or two that, that place is going to be closed. No. Because those if, small things If you matter. can't get the little yeah. things right, yeah, yeah absolutely. So. So the way we like to kick it off after an introduction is a little segment called Open for Business. And, and as I told you kind of in the lead up to the interview that I think that th this general interview as a whole is gonna be slightly different than some of the other interviews that I'll do. And the way I, I would like to hear your Open for Business concept is uh, you do this craft uh, in many different places. All around the, all around New York, right? You four bars, right? right now. Four different bars. I mean, this guy is really incredible. If you, if you ever were thinking that uh, getting into food and bev was going to mean more sleep, you were wrong. I think uh, <laughs> Nazar is a, a living, breathing example of that. So, so maybe. But you're right. You're getting used to that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, Dracula got used to not sleeping. Yeah. Of course, um, but but maybe just as a as a brief introduction, why don't you give a rundown of the four places that people can find you in the city, um, and the general location. So, for example, Yves is here in the Tribeca area. Since the last year, right now it's three, and it's about to become five. So, yeah. Uh, the main place for me, as always, it's Eves and Smith and Mills in Tribeca. Eves uh, is the place; it's like an alma mater for me. That's where they trained me from zero. Absolutely. And that's where my kickstart was from. And uh, from here, I was ready. Like they gave me a really good base to start learning on my own outside of the place. Then uh, it used to be the Mercer Kitchen. That's when I used to work like four years, I believe. 
uh, but I'm not there anymore. Um, most of the time I'm here at Eve's. I'm also bartending at Jojo. That's the first John George restaurant on the Upper East Side. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing that I'm started doing recently, that's the Smith and Mills, right next door from Eve's. Which is actually where I originally met Nazar. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. it all worked out so fast. Absolutely. But uh, Smith and Mills, it's like a jewel of Tribeca, and I feel like of New York in general. A lot of like most of the people who come there, they're just coming to bring friends to show that place, and uh, it's been there for about 11, 12 years, almost 12 years, and uh, insanely fun, successful with like small things that actually keep people hooked to that place, and they want to bring people to show them and. Yeah, I, like, I, I it actually so much freedom and like it's just fun to work at and f that's why it, for me at some point when I started doing all these crazy schedules and working a bunch of places at the same time everyone was thinking it's I'm gonna die <laughs> and it's just gonna run me down they're but not thinking that anymore you're getting used to that you're getting used to that and especially all three places that I just named have such a different cultures like Jean George it's a corporate it's all it's basically a rule book it's a strict place I'm not saying that this is not strict but this is also how I wouldn't say so it's like this is a places with the soul that you can remember them for a long time not by the food or menu only but also ambience and people that work people that work here they make the place like people that work in the smith mills they've been there some of the bartenders been there for eight nine years yeah i met i think i opening. met one of them the yeah. one of the guys that was behind the bar yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. truly it, it truly has a special i i was there you nailed it right one of my friends said hey yeah i want to show you this place and uh if if you guys have a chance i really and i'll i'll definitely tag it inside of some of the promotion work but smith and mills next door to yves which is right here uh it's really unbelievable i mean it's a special kind of Smith uh, Mills, it's a place where you go for fun, drink, any food you like. It's just insanely fun. Eves, for me, it's more when you want to be a little bit more relaxed. Still fun, though, but more relaxed and have a nice meal. Just, like, take your time and just enjoy it. When Smith & Mills, it's, everything is delicious, but it's more that drive. It's, it's, it's the cocktail. It's for the cocktail. Yeah. Then there are so many cocktails. Like so, right now, maybe I have like 300 in my head and it's not like, <laughs> but there are thousands and thousands. There's this, uh, one of the best bartenders actually of the city, they created this thing online that it's a Dropbox, it's an archive of cocktails and all of the bartenders can upload it there. Publicly shareable? And, yeah. Wow, and it's basically... Okay. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. Similarities and takes them out. If it's a similar cocktail to something, it's not going to be approved. But then there are hundreds of thousands of cocktails. So it's just, wow, that's a great little insight. Actually, yeah, I would have. It would known. be impossible to remember that. But at the same time, the cocktail is. What do they call it? Uh, I was just reading in one of the cocktail books. Uh, it's like a punch. If I'm not mistaken two parts strong, one part bitter, one part sweet, and uh, one part uh, sour. And it just, that's your cocktail. You're taking a base, you're taking something, if you want a sour, if you want a sweet, taking something bitter and a little bit more sweetener, a little bit of flavor, and that's a cocktail. And that's why 
At that point, it became easy. Because before, I used to think about each character. I used to stress myself. Out. Now it's like I... There's these, the, the building blocks are yeah. the, uh, the base. I became more and more passionate about this. Like, this is actually interesting. Each of those bottles that has story, like they're either beautiful story behind it there, or there's a, a family behind it or something. There, each bottle means something. And then you have flavor profiles beside the story and like how they make it. Like for example, can I squeeze in like a quick story? Absolutely. I'm waiting for these two bottles to get delivered. It's a aquavit. Aquavit, it's like a caraway and dill uh, spirit, like basically similar to, it's not a gin, it doesn't have juniper, but it has caraway seeds and uh, dill. And main two countries are Norway, uh, it's actually Denmark and Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But then Norway started making, like back in the days, one aquavit that they call Lini. Okay. By mistake, in about 1800s, like 19th century, or 18, 19th century, they send the portion of that aquavit. That's like an aquavit that then aged in barrels. And they sent it to Australia by mistake. So the shipment was returned. They tasted it and they decided it tastes so much better. But at that time frame and that era, they decided that the taste is better because of the crossing of the equator. Aha. Okay. So for the last 200 years, they keep sending all of their production of the aquavit in the barrels on the ship to Australia and all the way to China and then back. And there is a live feed on their website from that ship from a cockpit. Oh my gosh. To see it. These are these uh, anecdotes are priceless. Uh, I we we're so off some of the questions, but yeah. I, I as I said, I'm not even going to ask you the normal <laughs> questions because because some of these anecdotes are unbelievable. I'll, I I really will have to get some of the references and share them in the show notes with uh, with the crowd because I'm I think the drop the, the Dropbox link they're definitely going to want to see and and the live feed. I what I feel yeah. like they're probably advertising like Crypto Kitties <laughs> every 15 minutes you know to to really spice up the show it's like i was joking with one uh like it had like this like five people at the bar and they were listening to the story because i i was like i found out about that story on that day and i was so passionate about it and uh yeah i showed it to them and i was like so you see from now on i believe you're not gonna want to watch netflix that's your Netflix right now. <laughs> yeah, you can save nine dollars a month. It turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I guess you have to get internet access to have that. Sure. So, so Nazar, yeah. why don't you why don't you tell us? Um, one of the segments that we normally cover is fresh from the oven, but okay. of course, in your scenario, right? You can imagine it's going to be fresh from the well or fresh yeah. from the bar. Um, we have two amazing cocktails sitting here beside us and literally within three minutes of walking in the door, you, you couldn't wait to tell me about the... So that's the flip. The uh, flip. I got there a book, The Cocktail Codex, which was kind of like a, this like big thing that they announced that there are only six cocktails in the world that have been created and then everything that we have here right now came out out of those six cocktails. It's a martini, Daiquiri, sidecar, uh, whiskey highball, old-fashioned, and the flip. And when I heard about that flip, that's the thing that like, 
confused me the most because I never heard about it. Yeah, I had like also never heard about it after and, after yeah. years of going to food and beverage establishments and, and trying funky stuff. They included Flip in six of the main cocktails, and I, I got at that point like I've been already learning a lot, like intensely, and like trying to read more. I just I got offended. Like how, yeah, by yourself, point, yeah. <laughs> offended at yourself. Yeah, how at this point I still didn't hear about the flip, and then I started googling it, and basically a flip, it's a concept that gave a beginning to this things like whiskey sour or amaretto sour or pisco sour, but it's the cocktail made with the full egg with the yolk and white. Mm-hmm. So you're just using the full egg to not only make it frothy and foamy. But it fully changes the texture. Yeah, it thick, it's, it it's, it's got a thickness to it. Yeah, yeah, it makes it creamy, thick. Cheers. Hey, cheers. I tried to give Nazar like a really gnarly uh, milk mustache after he made this, but he 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 drinks too delicately, so it didn't quite work out for the photo op. <laughs> I'm thinking about it all the time. I used to have a, like my beard used to be like probably three times longer. Uh, and that was like the constant problem, like drinks. <laughs> it was you, you had to you had to decide one day, yeah. either be a server forever or cut your beard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the flip, it's the one we having right now. It's a cognac flip. So you have a cognac. Then instead of using just a simple syrup, there's a split base between two creme de cacaos. Mm-hmm. We have a dark and white, and uh, just to finish it up, you have a full egg shaken something almost like a ramus gin fizz because this thing needs to be shaken so hard that after that you just want to be like i, I actually like took a nap while you were shaking seven it. days yeah, vacation yeah i took that. i That's took a small a small yeah. nap your one of your arms nearly popped off yeah uh problems with the shoulder by the way all the time <laughs> not even joking that uh, I, I could tell you were serious i sometimes like just switch hands and like I'm trying to shake or do everything with my left hand because like being behind the bar and like especially day by day without days off that's that's the only fixation on that like the, the biggest fixation is my shoulder yeah you're and really I'm like moving this muscle yeah. quite a lot vigorously yeah. I've been feeling it more and more lately but it's like also part fun, of the game fun, yeah. part of the I'm game proud of that. <laughs> yeah part of the game uh, by the way folks we're also gonna start a GoFundMe page for Nazar's uh, <laughs> arm replacement yeah. <laughs> apparently we that's yeah we need to get that couple going. joints uh, but yeah and then you just finishing it up with the a little bit of nutmeg on top for the nose just to give it a little bit of a Christmassy scent yeah, it's it's unbelievable it has this uh, I mean, you mentioned the thickness. I think the thickness is the thing that you feel the right the, away, right, right away, away, because it's very different. It, it, it tastes like what did you say? A Christmas in a glass. Christmas in a glass. Right. Yeah. It's 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 also, two two months late, but yeah. I I still would drink this any day in February. The reason why I like this specifically because you can make the flip with anything. There are delicious flips with cherries with ports which is like unusual things to use in the cocktails. But the reason for the cognac, because the cognac has the backbone of that chocolate too. Mm-hmm. And creme de cacao just works perfectly with cognac. And cognac is actually, a, it's a fortified wine as well, correct? Uh, well, yes and no. Like the production of that thing goes like way back in the history. It's, so it's, it's still, hundreds and hundreds. It's one it's of the oldest known. Still like liquors. aged and uh, they always blending it. 
I've been fortunate to see this picture of uh, like the aging room of those like I don't even know what they call they have a specific name but it's, it's not a mason jar obviously but it's like this huge glass vessels with 100 300 years old cognac that oh they slowly adding to the blend and it's all just mixing so sometimes when you're drinking like uh, if you see on the back bar we have three cognacs right there the easiest way to explain them so the one we're using here it's VSOP you know, if I'm not mistaken, the gradation of cognacs go from VS, VS, so VS it's two years and older mm -hmm. age, VS of P it's four, uh, then you have Napoleon, which is like six, seven years, then EXO, like, or the horse odor, uh, it's uh, 10 years, mm -hmm. and then they have premium ones so that's like 10 and higher that's like their most expensive ones but there is always chance that for like a exo or like some better napoleons that you have something of like 300 years old in your blend tiny tiny bit but it's there right 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 that's uh, adding some kind of different note yeah. inside of the cocktail it's it's actually it sounds kind of I, I had two thoughts going through my head when you were describing it what one was bourbon right so kentucky bourbon the aging process of a bourbon or a whiskey it had yeah. that certain idea and the other was and i know this is totally bizarre but i was thinking about um like classic meat aging houses yeah. right like where you go to kentucky again shout out to kentucky but uh, they have these meat aging houses where you know you'll go in and you'll see these massive hogs that just hang open air for months and months and months on end until they really like fully cure out like a dry aged steak or an aged piece of uh, aged, yeah. aged piece of pork. So it's it's amazing what and speaking of chemistry, right? It's amazing what aging and fermentation can do to the taste of meats and alcohols alike. Oh, it's, but speaking uh, about the bourbon and just Kentucky in general. It just like pressed on a really painful button on me. Press it, like, listen, I, I, I'm me, sorry, Nazar. No, it's <laughs> been such a long time at this point. Like it's been like good, like for me, it's a long time. Two months that I'm trying to set like a day off, sit down in front of my computer and actually do like a proper research on that topic. So a day off that involves a day full of research. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got for it. For me, it's actually- You'll notice a theme here, folks. <laughs> Nazar doesn't take time away, which is why we're talking to but him. But it's speaking about bourbon and Kentucky because there's so many things going on with that, that it's all started with me looking at this video on a YouTube one day. Um, uh, basically, one of the, I believe it was like a ex-New York uh, mayor who went to Kentucky for some uh, conference and he was presenting some of the Kentucky, uh, it, it was either gardener or something, I, I wouldn't be sure here like on the names and position of the people, but there was like a high-ranked politician like from New York presenting a gift to the guy from Kentucky in that conference and he was presenting him with the bottle of bourbon mm -hmm. from New York. And he was like, that's a delicious bourbon from New York. Let me get the Hudson Valley bourbon, uh, maybe? I don't remember the name. Which is an amazing, I will say, it's an amazing, I, I, I don't know if they can technically call themselves a bourbon because of the bourbon laws, but it is But it's even like, delicious. not even 
bourbon, it's even whiskey. Like, it basically, they presented it, and they was like, even in New York, we can make something as good as here in Kentucky. Oh, I'm sure they, I'm sure these people the pulled out whole, the pitchforks. No, everyone just started laughing. And the reason for that was that the bottle that he presented was actually from New York, but it was bottled here, but distilled in Kentucky. And that's when I was like, wait, what? Like, you know that moment, like, what's going on here? Like, why? What? And I started researching on that. And uh, the bottom line is that the to distill whiskey, it's not as expensive as you can consider. The most expensive process is aging. Storing it, right? It's storing, it's keeping up the temperatures, it's keeping up the barrels. It's also, you're sitting on an inventory that you cannot sell. Yeah. You're not making money out of it. And then also you renting a storing facilities. That's the expense. And that's when the company, if not, again, if I'm not mistaken, called MGT. It's a huge monopoly company that produces 1 million barrels a year. Of and bourbon, of that bourbon. is. Okay. Bourbon, right, whiskey in general. And then they sell them to various bottling companies that are putting their label on it. It helps to build up the brand and maybe eventually start aging their own stuff. Uh -huh. But that's how a lot of these companies work. And a lot of companies in the back bar of any bar in New York that have bourbons. Some small little... Even from Kentucky, bourbons from Kentucky coming from that company. Because it's cheaper right. to buy the set product and put your label instead of changing sure. it. And that's fascinating. And the thing that I found out about, if it says on a label, either bottle, made, uh, produced, delivered in New York, in LA. Then that means it's being state. made somewhere else. It means it's from Kentucky. It needs to say distilled specifically by the law. If you don't like distill it here, then you need to put, then only, that's Bottled, the only way packaged. to put distilled. Bottled, made, produced, it all means that they were from Kentucky, that they weren't made here. And because those wow. words are allowed by law, but distilled, that's a specific word that you cannot use if you're not distilling it for yourself. That's amazing, it's amazing. It's, you know, it, it actually gives me, a, and I, I'll use another restaurant-related example, but I think that it's also the, the unfortunate fate of a lot of the suppliers that supply into the restaurant industry as well, right? When uh, economies of scale are a very real thing, so that small batch bourbon bottler um, yeah. says, hey, it's, it's really hard for me to be able to warehouse 100,000 barrels and to be able to carry the inventory and to take the five or 10 years that it takes to be able to age the stuff. And I, I think there's a similar situation with a lot of the inventory from the food side that comes in. I mean, think about yeah, the way small, small farms competing against large agri companies. I mean, there's a reason why sometimes it's incredibly cost prohibitive for one right. of these organizations to be able to buy from the small farm because the small farm can't grow at the bulk that some of these mass farms can, and then food suppliers like a US Foods or a Cisco, um, they have an easier time to market because of their price advantage. Sure. So it's a it's an analogous food example, but it's a fascinating yeah. story about the bourbon. I, no, I had no I idea. Have you, have you been digging in a little more? In case, yeah. in case you haven't noticed, guys, like 
uh, I think from from the jump, I started talking to Nazar over, uh, you know, I was one beer in and, and thinking about a second and it just truly captured my attention how how much you, one, just cared about the craft of bartending. I really was taken by this energy. But secondly, when you told me that you were working at three different places all at one time and that you had only been bartending for a year and a half. Year and a half. Right? I, I was just blown away. I mean, blown away that you've learned a tremendous amount, you know. It's been an intense year. Like, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing that I think in a year and a half, it, we should do the math. We should do the math. If if you figure sixty hours a week, right? Let's let's call it sixty hours a week in fifty weeks. And we like I've been doing right? like 70, 75 a week. Yeah, I mean that's you know. Three places. Yeah. Do some math, right? Seventy times fifty. Yeah. It's it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, you're you're at 3,500 hours in a year, and and I really, I you actually said something that I I took very personally in in the lead up. We unfortunately, you know, there are things that myself and the people that you see on the show sort of uh, we share before the camera starts rolling, and I I really don't think we can replicate it. But you, you know, you said something to me that was like, hey, I I really just I get tired of people complaining because I, I recognize that my life didn't start advancing and I think in this particular case you're referring to your, your bartending life until you really committed yourself and started working so relentlessly and sort of have seen this well, tremendous the, uptick. The thing that I meant by that was that people tend to start not even like just complaining but expecting something and that expectation bores them and then just puts them in a position that they want something to happen by just waiting for it. When I I was on the way here today like I was thinking about it but then at the same time I've been so like pretty like I've been keeping up pretty busy last year and then because of that because of the lack of that free time of being bored, of boring myself. So many things happen in a year. It's been like 2018 was insanely packed with events, but it all felt like just that it all happens fast and without me actually anticipating or waiting for those. They were just happening. And those the people sometimes have those voids in between that they like bored or they don't know what to do. I didn't have time for that. I was just working and just enjoying life. And, and doing and something it. that you clearly yeah. love. I yeah. mean, I, I can really, I can really say that that's, it's so transcendent. Like you really just care tremendously about the history and the story. I like it. It's not that I like, you know, like I'm. No, I do care. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're right. It's you, interesting. It's just interesting, and as long as like there's something to learn, it just makes sense for me. And as far as like if you're doing something, just do it the best way, like the best way you can. Absolutely. No, it's great advice. I mean, it's it's very simple advice, yeah. but uh, but it's great advice. And I I think that I I personally uh, relate to that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, professionally and also in private life that. If you're gonna do something, you know, really go for it, and I, I can see that. Think about it like the industry in general, like people who work here in a service industry. I mean, servers, bartenders, anyone. They just like for 
generalize like let's do like 90% of people it's something in between yep it's They, not a it's not a choosing it's this. like I'm gonna do this but I'm about to become that yeah correct and then they the, the level of like awareness and the, the way they care about it it's not there when and like even if you have something else even if you're gonna do something next why don't you try to yeah sure it's all like somehow it's gonna get connected and if you feel like that it's lower than you or like not worth you like and just gonna be slacking where the guarantees that the same thing are gonna happen with your dream work and uh, we were talking about that actually I wasn't expecting it from him because not that deep of a guy but we were talking about <laughs> it uh, two weeks ago and uh, uh, he said that he said something and I remember this guy his name is Mark Manson he wrote that uh, one of the best sellers the, I don't know if I can say it here The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck mm -hmm. great book I've been following his uh, blog for a long time, for like six years at this point, just reading his articles. And he had one of his articles, it was about passion, and it's about basically that passion is not something you decide on. Passion is something that you do and then slowly get better in it and learn it. And the passion becomes like comes on its own. You cannot decide I'm passionate about, I don't know, driving a car. Maybe you're gonna hate it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're going to be really bad about it. <laughs> to be passionate about something, just try doing that, start doing it, and then see. Oh man, it's, yeah. uh, I, I can really tell you, and it, it's, it's, it's funny that we're sitting here in front of this camera, right? But that for me is this. That yeah. for what you just described is this very thing that I'm doing right now, because my passion is sharing these stories with people. My yeah. passion is having a conversation with someone that you know maybe some people come here and have an incredible drink and that's the end of it for them but for me that's the beginning the beginning yeah. is have a drink right taste something delicious and say who is the person that made this and why did they make it yeah it's like you with your liquors you know or your amaros you want to ask the next question and the next question and the next question and i'm like that when it comes to having conversations around food and hospitality. But I, I think it's, a, it's an incredible message to deliver to people, right? Is it's, it's about really putting yourself out there. But you know if I, and you were totally off the track, but I think it's perfect because it's valuable, is it's really hard to be vulnerable to admit to people that you really care about something, right? Like, you really care about being a bartender. You really care about making things that people love and think are delicious. Well, guess what? If, if people know that you care, then it can really hurt your feelings if you're not good at it, right? <laughs> and I think people tend to put this wall up of, I'm, I don't really care, yeah. so it doesn't matter if I'm not that good at it. Right, and I, I think that's a defense mechanism in a certain way. You know, it puts me off a little bit, like a question when, like, not friends. Friends never asked that; they already gave up on that. <laughs> but like strangers, especially at the bar, they're asking me, "So, what's what's your plan? What's your next move? What's your dream?" Uh, honestly, like, I always like trying being behind the bar you're always trapped there and like those yeah. questions coming to you like where the hell can times. i go now like first of all it's kind of offensive 
why don't you think like maybe I'm a type of a person that has low standards, always reaching them and happy as I am because of that. Mm -hmm. But the main part is that just, I don't know, like I'm, this question of being like, what's your plan? I don't like, not, not even what's your plan, what's your dream? What do you want to become next? Or what do you want to do like in a big picture? I don't know, like I'm too busy right now to think about next move. Like a year and a half ago, I didn't think that I'm going to be bartending in three places. year and a half ago, I didn't feel like I'm going to be able to make some cocktail out of ingredients that I know. Like year, intimately. A <laughs> year and a half ago, like I didn't, I couldn't name them, not even tell you what's in it. So, and I wasn't planning on knowing this or learning this year and a half ago. It just happened. It's just keeping yourself busy, just like pushing it, it's just, I don't know, for me, it just somehow it becomes organic, just on its own. And you just start learning and then something else happening and happening and happening and without me planning or dreaming about something. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. You know what, but now I, I have to, spoiler alert, Right there, there is a bit of a dream that's uh, that's coming up in the future for you. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah, no, like I would love to do uh, a beverage program. I don't want to leave the bar. Obviously, I want to be behind the bar and I want to do a beverage program. So I don't know how that's gonna work out, but my friends they kind of getting involved with a new project, and we might do that together. But what I do want to have and that actually would be the answer, but it's not a, that's the answer to your question. It's not the answer to the question of people who ask me like, what's your next move? Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. But like for me, like the ideal place right now, it's if I'm gonna have a power over the cocktail menu, that I can build my own cocktail menu. Put your recipes there. Yeah. That, I mean, that's my point right now. Help, help the people understand, and I, you know, a part of what we're trying to do is kind of educate people a little bit about, you know, I, I think a lot of people come into the door of, of Yves or they come into the door of, uh, you know, any bar or restaurant, and they sort of take it at face value, right? The the menu items are just there. The the cocktail list is just here. Yeah. Um, maybe help us understand one. What is a, a bar program? That would be great, right? Help us understand, like, when when you're thinking about that future where you're making a bar program, help us understand what are you trying to think about in terms of the way that the cocktails themselves tell a story? Um, and maybe another part of the question, if I'm not overwhelming you, is how does the cocktail need to connect to the food that's being served? Or is that really part of the consideration for someone like you? Okay, so I'll start from a, like the beginning of your question. It was a thing that happened yesterday, actually, uh, helping educate people to come to your bar. It was a, just beginning of the night, three girls, they ordering their second round because I'm starting my dinner shift. And one of them goes for Hendrix Negroni, right? I. I disagree that Hendrix is supposed to be a Negroni. That's not a gin for Negroni. <laughs> it's a like it's a new age gin. It has rose petals and cucumber in it. 
it's a little bit rounder, it's sweeter, it's like lighter, it just it doesn't cut through that vermouth and Campari, it's not enough for Negroni. And it's just not supposed to be used in Negroni, and I hate people. Seagram's that, only like, for the Negroni. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at that point I was, I was like, are you sure you want it with, Nick, with the Hendrix? And she went, oh, that's the only one I know. And that actually was like the entrance for me to start at least try her to explain like, what are the London dries mm -hmm. and why I prefer them over that, or what are those jeans and why I prefer this over that, over Hendrix, it's just like in general. And it actually worked out. She had three of those Negronis after, not with Hendrix. And it, like, that's the part. And I always try to talk to people because that's, I feel like they can enjoy their time and just taste of that liquor better when they understand it. That's the same way with anything with food or anything. It's like somehow knowing what amount of work was put on for you to get that product in front of you makes it more enjoyable. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree uh, more. In terms of... Bar program. Bar program. Uh, I don't know, like it's a weird thing for like totally like coming from me, from a person with no experience. I'm still considering myself as another bartender. Um, there are so many more things for me to learn that I'm just a guy who's just trying to do his best here. But uh, for the bar program, uh, the, the, it's a lot of talk. But think about the restaurants, New York City, and a rising rent, okay? This place is like Eve's, like Smith & Mills next door. Those are unique places because it's old school, free poor places. Right now, all those places being taken over with the jiggers, with measuring with the jiggers, everything. It's not only precise measurements. You don't need a bartender behind the bar with the jigger. Even monkey can make a cocktail because all they need to do is remember the recipe. They don't need to taste it. They don't need to look at that. They don't need to know the product. You just need to know the measurement. When with the free pouring, you need to taste every drink, you need to make them proper. And that's the only way to learn the bartending. And that's the, that's the hard part because it's like also on the management, it puts them in their backs that you need to train every single bartender you hire. Right, so there's really a craft element yeah, and a personnel. And yeah. yeah. Uh, bar program wise, cocktails forced to go lower liquor cost. They're just forced by the rent, by the rising rent in the city. And uh, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. My ideal vision of the bar, if I have one, uh, for a future, it's definitely, as I told you before, simpler is better. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you stressed that point. I do not, understand this like new way of mixology and everything we are bartenders like it's like bartending it's not a mixology mixology everyone can be a mixologist as soon as they have a page on instagram or or, so or can, three different things to put into a glass it's you know? a mixology yeah and uh for me bartending it, it is a bartending and you can be a good bartender but still <laughs> I, I just don't like that word just doesn't make sense for me. But no offense to any mixologists out there. Yeah. But God forbid. Yeah. God forbid. Yes. But like a cocktail that I actually 
through last year, I got into this like arguments with people that were trying to force cocktails on me to make them by the corporate, by the higher standing hierarchy of the restaurant. Cocktails that had two bases with infusions and then uh, with two, three different infusions. And then besides of that, six to seven to eight ingredients. So to make one cocktail, you need to pick up seven, eight, maybe 10 bottles. Yeah. And, and fuck your shoulder up. Yeah, it just doesn't, <laughs> and it like the pores are tiny. It's, I call those things like, through the time that I made a couple of those, I just like a band-aid. Like I remember, I'm not gonna tell where, I wasn't here, but we had this uh, cocktail made with uh, melon, decent tasting cocktail, nine ingredients, two infusions, probably five minutes to make a cocktail. Not five, but like, it's an annoying cocktail and especially measurements and everything. And at the end, it's basically end up being like, a, have you heard about Midori? Yeah, I know Midori. That was the Midori sour. Exactly same taste, just more ingredients. Why don't you just take and make Midori sour and not overcomplicate it? So those bandages, like the, the, the cocktail that they try to achieve some taste, like some specific flavor, and they keep putting smaller and smaller amounts of something extra, extra. That's, that's the mixology these days. I mean, it's, like, it's great when it works, but not for me. Like, yeah, there's a there's a place there's a place and I, I feel so bad that I don't remember the name of it but it, it's you know very uh, tiki inspired and it's actually in I mean I'll call it like maybe the the awesome cocktail bars of New York district there's uh, there's a really amazing Japanese cocktail lounge in the East Village you have Death and Co okay. you have Amoria Margo. And then I think it's right beside Death & Co or one block over from Death & Co, but it's a, it's a tiki bar that makes like all kinds of really mixologied cocktails and they do a great job. But, uh, but I think to your point and-, and No, they're always gonna right? be a customer for that. The guests are always gonna be for anything. Like if you can present them well, do it. But like the, my answer was in, like if you ask what like how I see my future maybe in a year's bar program? More simple, more classic. Classics, simple, and even if you're going a little bit off that simplicity, just look, Google some spirits, and they're definitely gonna be one thing that can replace four others, like combined together in one thing. So it's just Negroni. Negroni is the that's like a king. The king cocktail of the cocktails. How many Negronis did you quote had been consumed in the last hundred years? I think he think said about billions. It. Billions. Yeah. <laughs> billions of Negronis. <laughs> uh, it's just genius. Like it's three ingredients. Wait, it's vermouth. So you start with a gin, Campari, vermouth. Okay. Equal. Yeah. Uh, even though the owner of that bar, Amoria Margo, he claims that the. Uh, Negroni is supposed to be made, it, not supposed to, the way he makes it, it's made with a little bit more of the gin to make it stronger because it serves on the rock, so it's still loose first. Um, there's a fun story, there's this orange bitters, right? It's called Reagan's uh, Orange Bitters. Mm -hmm. And Gus Reagan, he's the owner of that thing, he's the bartender, although he's like in his 60s, I believe 70s. Uh, but he known in the world for his Negronis because Every Negroni that he serves, he says, need to be 
built in a glass, put it in front of the guests, and stirred a couple times, three or four times, with your finger. He sticks his heat finger. to it. He sticks finger and like stirs with his own finger and serves it to the guest. And last year he signed a contract. Like he basically partnered with the Cocktail Kingdom. It's like a bar supply and store. And he cut his finger off and sold it to him. <laughs> he partnered with them and they uh, made exact replica of his finger into the steering oh, store. Oh no, okay. It looks creepy. Oh no, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. That's yeah. amazing though. <laughs> Even though I have the... I you you it, have the way. finger? I bought on the first week or the second week. Yeah. <laughs> I have that finger. Freaked out quite a lot of people over that. But yeah, that's the bar program. Like there are so many, especially what I like to do is take some older cocktail books and go to those like forgotten classics that people stop drinking and they're delicious. And you make it for them and they're like, oh my God, what is this? Like, I mean, it's been there. It's been there for your whole life. Like it's just nobody bothered to learn or look up. I think the the flip is a really great example of that. I mean, it was yeah. one of the, it, it really was awesome. I walked in, it was like Nazar, I mean, of course he was waiting on me because he knew I was coming, but uh, it, it was like, you couldn't wait to tell me about, hey man, like, I'm going to make this flip. It's unbelievable. And then I made some really shitty joke about it's flipping great. And you were like, I, I think we put that on our Instagram recently. I couldn't believe it. But uh, I'm sure they can believe it because they know, the, uh, they know how bad my humor is sometimes. No, we call that drink, I believe, the flip I know. Ah, uh, what the flip you know. Yeah. What the flip do you know? Uh, that was the name, but it was a different cocktail. This one is like... So is a flip, yeah. just so I got it, I, the genre is whole egg, Yeah. but it can be a, a, a wide array of anything in there with the whole egg. So as would the sour be considered? Egg. As long as there's a yolk and whites, that's the flip. That's the flip, okay. Whites, that's the sour that came out of the flip. So. Uh, hey, I really appreciate <sighs> your, uh, your energy and your passion. It's been awesome to learn uh, quite frankly, a little bit more about you on a personal level, but also about the, your craft. I mean, I think you you have first and foremost a gift for passion, uh, and secondly, a gift for taste and a gift for flavor profiles. And I think it it shines through, man, with the cocktails that people are drinking, but also just spending time with you. So I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. And uh, I think people will be excited to see where, where they can find your cocktails other than the three destinations that you've mentioned in the past hour.